All right, everybody take a breath with me, all right? On the count of three, we're going to breathe deeply. One, two, three. Don't you feel like you need that? I'm not talking about just in life. I'm talking about after the video, particularly, right? Last week, we started a series of messages called Breathing Room. And the central idea behind this series of messages is that most of us, no matter our age or stage in life, live busy, cluttered lives. That Americans live the busiest, most cluttered lives in the world. That's not just me talking or thinking. That's from some recent research. In fact, one of the most interesting things that I read this week was, and you may have heard this, but in 1965, there was a Senate subcommittee that looked at labor practices in America and predicted some things. And this committee predicted by the year 2000, the average American would work only a 20-hour work week with seven full weeks of vacation. They kind of missed that one, didn't they? Do you realize, here's an interesting study, all right? Americans, and this is from Bloomberg, in an article called, Americans are working way too much. The average American family is working 600 hours more a year today than 25 years ago. That's a lot. Because you see, 25 years ago, Americans were still number two or three in the world in the amount of time their family spent working. Guess where we are right now? One. You you remember in the 80s when everybody talked about how much the Japanese worked? Do y'all remember that? Americans passed them in 1992. It's crazy. That's not to mention the added stuff that we have. We talked about last week. It's not just if you're still, some of you retired and you say, well, I don't have that anymore. But retired people today are busier than they've ever been. I have people coming to my office all the time that said, I retired and then I got busy. Stuff started happening. Things started going on. We leave these crazy lives. And it's not just schedules, although we're going to talk about that primarily today. It's in our finances. We, we are pushed to the edge. It's in our relationships. We are maxed out. Most of us are living at a pace relationally, financially, schedule-wise that is unhealthy and unsustainable. God knew we would. And that's why when he was establishing the very first society, that's what we talked about last week, that he established these God rules about margin, about space. And he talked about the Sabbath and having a day, 24 hours. The sun went down on the Sabbath. No work was done. No more grapes picked. No more wheat harvested. Nothing else done. Nothing else done. You stop and you go and for 24 hours straight you do nothing. You rest. You relax. You spend time. And then he set up this this concept of the tithe. And the tithe was that you don't use every bit of money that you get. You don't use every bit of your harvest that you get. You don't consume all that you have. Instead, you set aside a portion as margin and you trust it to the Lord. And we talked about this principle of the gleanings, how even when you were doing your fields back then, you left the edges so that others could have it that needed it. You didn't get everything possible. And we use this statement that all of that was to build trust into the Lord taking care of us and that 
cluttered, busy lives are evidence of a lack of faith. We talked about this concept of breathing room, and this was the definition we used for breathing room last week, and it'll be the one we'll use for the next three weeks. Breathing room is just that space between our load and our limit. That every one of us has a limit. Amen? Right? We all do. To say that we don't would mean that we would be limitless and there is only one limitless being. And it's not you. And there is a space between what we have on us and what we can stand. All of us have margin. Some of us, it's really narrow or almost non-existent. And our goal is to build into us what God intends of some breathing room. If you've got your Bibles, open to Psalm 90. We'll get there in just a minute. We're going to read some extended passage in Psalm 90. But here's the concept of what we're talking about. Because today we're going to talk specifically about time, schedule, those kind of things. And here's what I want to tell you. Just because you have free time doesn't mean you don't have an issue with schedule or time. Look at what Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16 says. It says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. And he says, this is how you live wisely. Making the best use of the time. Uh, Another uh, phrase for that is taking advantage of every opportunity or doing well with time. Because the days are even. I want you to notice this for a minute. I want you to notice that what the writer Paul says here is that using our time wisely is important against the battle we have with evil. Now, most of us don't think of our schedules as important in the spiritual warfare of good versus evil. Most of us don't think about what we've got this week and think, okay, how I spend my time is an important step in the battle that is raging between God and His enemies. But Paul says it is. That using our time wisely is important because the days are evil. Now, in Colossians, just in case we think this is just a one-time thing, in Colossians chapter 4, he tells us this. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Now, now the concept here is to those that are outside the faith, to those that are not believers, making the best use of time. He he will go on to tell them later, you can look this up later in verse 6 and following, that we have to be careful how we speak, we have to be careful how we act, but part of that is how we use our time. I remember... uh, I remember talking with someone about the concept of time and this issue that we have. That time is the only resource that we can't get back. Or we can't buy more of. Do you know how many hours there are in a day? 24. Do you know that has been constant? Since the beginning, since God said let there be, there have been 24 hours in a day. Now we're going to look in a minute about a guy that realized kind of the complexities of this. But I I thought about this, that, that, that we have to walk in wisdom with how we relate to others with our time because our time is allotted and there and we're not 
buying any more back. Turn to Psalm 90. If you're not there already. Now, if you're there, you can help us all out. Who does it say wrote Psalm 90? Now, before we answer, when you hear Psalms, who do you mostly think of? David. David didn't write this psalm. Who wrote this psalm? Moses. Now, Moses is a guy that knew about time. Anybody know how long Moses lived? 120 years. Now, here's what I love about the description of Moses. In Deuteronomy, when it tells us that he lived 120 years, it says he lived 120 years and his eyesight was still really good. Isn't that a strange little thing to put out there? But most of us know that's a big deal because like at 40, we're like, ooh, what is, where are my reading glasses? Anybody got reading glasses with you this morning? Yeah. How many of you aren't admitting it, but you got them? All right. Give you a second chance. All right. I accidentally picked up my small print Bible today, so I may be reading like this for the rest of the day. Right? It says 120 years and his eyes were still good. Now, we'll talk about that in a minute, how I think that's kind of interesting and why they said that. But Moses is a guy that lived in four separate phases of life. For the first part of his life, where did he grow up? I mean, after the basket incident, where did he grow up? In Pharaoh's house, right? I mean, like the palace, like the best of the best, right? I mean, his room would have been top notch. It would have been a great place to grow up. I mean, it's one of those houses that people would drive by and go, wow, I wonder what it's like inside of there. I mean, just the best of the best. My guess is his life was filled with all kinds of official moments and fun times and freedom like you wouldn't believe then he gets in trouble because he kills a guy kind of a big deal they run him out of town and for the next 40 years what does he do he's a shepherd now now think about this I, i know there's more to it than what i'm about to say there's more complexity to it but basically as a shepherd what's your job you watch sheep how do people get to sleep at night When they can't go to sleep, you count sheep. So do you think watching sheep is the most exciting moments you could have? You get up in the morning, you get them out of the pen, you put them out, you let them feed, you sit and you watch them feed, make sure nothing comes around. You ever watch sheep? They are not very exciting to watch. Now, how long did he do that? Forty years. Now, here's the thing about Moses in those 40 years. He didn't know the rest of the story. We read and go, oh, don't worry, Moses, lots of exciting stuff's coming. He doesn't know that. He thinks for the next 40 years, for the next 50 years, 60, 70, 80, he's going to get up in the morning, he's going to go out there, he's going to look at some sheep, he's going to have some kids, he's going to have some grandkids, he's going to die, they're going to say, oh, remember old Moses? And about three generations later, nobody's going to talk about him anymore ever again. But then God comes and says... I need you. Got some people back there. I want to pull them out. And he goes back. And he's involved now. He goes from being a shepherd to being involved in one of the biggest events in the history of the world. Right? Daily confronting Pharaoh. Blood going through the rivers of the Nile. Locust. Boils. Hail. The stuff that falls from the sky. Not a southern interpretation of another word, right? Hail's on fire as it comes down. It it is an amazing moment. They get out. 
He leads the people. And because he was the one that led them out, guess who they want as their leader? Moses. So for the last 40 so years of his life, you know what he does? He leads these people. But here's the thing. They're supposed to go to the promised land. And what happens? They don't trust the Lord. So what does God say? You're not going. So guess what Moses' final act is? Leading people in a circle in the desert for 40 years till they all die. That's got to be some fun times right there. How many of the original we still got left alive? All right, we got a few more years. Let's go. And he gets to the end of his life. People are getting ready to go in the promised land. And God says, not you. He says, here's what you can do, Moses. You can get up on top of this mountain. And because you're 120 and your eyesight is still good, you'll be able to see the promised land. Moses was a guy that understood the concept of time. Look at chapter 90 of Psalms, or Psalm 90. The prayer of Moses, the man of God. Verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. He says, whether we realized it or not, Lord, you are the one that has held our being. You are the place where we live. Verse 2. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world. I love that image. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And here's what he says. From before time began until after time ends. From eternity to eternity. From everlasting to everlasting, you are are God. Now, here's the point Moses is making at the very beginning is you are completely different than us. Right? I mean, you're God. There has never been a time when you were not. There will never be a time when you are not. In fact, there will be a time when there is no time, but you will still be. Verse 3. He says, You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. That sounds like something right out of a medieval movie. Return to dust, O sons of men. The point there is what? That God knows our time. Now, does that mean that God determines our steps? Does that mean God determines when we live and die? Does that mean God determines our exact dates? Or does that mean He just knows? That's a good question. I, I don't know. Here's what I do know. We all believe that in some way God has something to do with the amount of time we're here, right? Here's the way you can test that. If you were to find out tomorrow that you had a terminal illness, do you think you might pray? Yeah. If you found out tomorrow someone you care deeply about, and some of you have experienced this, some of you have walked through this, many of us have been through this, we find out someone we care deeply about has a terminal illness, what do we immediately do? We pray. Sometimes we don't know how to pray, but we pray because we feel like, we think that in some way God has something to do with the number of our days. Verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. Or like a watch in the night. He says, listen, God, you are from eternity to eternity. You are from everlasting to everlasting. And in the middle of it, you see a thousand years is like a day. Or not even a day. Sometimes we quote that to the Lord. A year is like a thousand days and a thousand days like a year. But Moses says, it's not even that. It's a thousand days. It's just like three or four hours to you. That's what a watch in the night is. You ever notice that the older you get, the faster time goes? 
Right? Like when you're a kid, a year takes forever. And as the older you get, it just tick it off, right? We're in 2014. Where did the 2000s go? Right? It's just like it's gone. What if you were God? You've been around for eternity. Guess how fast stuff goes? Right? A thousand years is like three or four hours. What's the implication for us? Anybody here ever live a thousand years? If a thousand years is like three or four hours, then our lifespan is just a few minutes. Moses continues that thought. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. It is gone. Well, this is an exciting sermon, isn't it? Feel better about yourself already? Look at verse 9. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years, or if we're lucky, 80. Yet their span, this is getting really exciting here, is nothing but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass, and then some glad morning, we fly away. Do you know that where the, that's where this came from originally? Psalm 9, you're singing Moses' words all that time. You thought you were just doing some good bluegrass. Who knows? The power of your anger. For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Let me just say this about that verse and then we'll, we'll continue. Nobody really knows how to translate that from the Hebrew. Different plays, different ways. But here's the point. Here's, here's the, the basic understanding of what he's saying. If we knew how powerful you were, if we knew how long you had existed, if we knew the immensity of time that you're around, and the brevity of life that we have, we would be wiser in how we live. And then Moses says this. Verse 12. Teach us to number our days aright. Then we may gain wisdom. Teach us to number our days. We've done that before, almost all of us. We've had a period of time where we number our days and we think through things. A, 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 a young lady who says to a young man, I will, then has to think through the process of getting to the day when they say, I do. And if you've ever been a bride or a mother of a bride, you know that the days are numbered unto that date. Right? Things have to be done. Plans have to be made. This has to be taken care of. And in your mind, you have deadlines and things that are happening. And you're numbering your days. I know. I have walked actually with some of you through children's weddings or through your own weddings. And I have seen you number days and think through. And deadlines are coming and pressure is coming. But you know how many days are left. Or have you ever had an exam in school? Some people are much better at planning this than others. Or you've ever had a presentation at work, or you, you've ever had a visit from relatives. And I've got only three days left, and I've got to get all this stuff done. 
Moses says, we need to number our days as if each and every moment is important in the scope of history because it is. God's eternity to eternity and we have a minute slice in the midst of it. He says we, first of all, if we want to really live for His glory and His kingdom and to use our time wisely, we need to understand we don't have a lot of it at all. Now, that's not easy to realize when we're living day to day. You know when it's easier to realize? is when you're gone for a little while and you come back. For instance, y'all know a couple weeks ago I was in Ripley. And I went back to Ripley and I was meeting some people. And my first thought was, man, these people have gotten older. What happened? Right? But it's, you know what I mean? Like you see somebody you hadn't seen in six or seven years. You're like, whoo, I don't know what happened to that. I'm glad I haven't aged. Right? You know what I mean? Right? You, don't, you don't see it day to day because we don't think in that way. But when we see other people, we think, man, time is going quickly. I saw it especially in kids. I left kids that were third graders that are graduating from high school. There was a child there that, that I saw. That when I came to Ripley, the first day I was in Ripley, they were starting kindergarten. And they are seniors in high school. How does that happen? Right? Not to mention our own kids and grandkids, right? We don't have very much time. And sometimes we act like we got all the time in the world. But we don't. We've got to number our days. We have to think through everything. And then we have to sort out priorities. And that's what numbering our days really means, isn't it? Is to sort out what's important. To sort out the priorities in our lives. We talked about this last week. Last week we talked about it in Matthew chapter 6. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. So we're in church. I'm preaching. So you know the first thing I'm going to tell you to do is to sort out your priorities with the Lord. But the truth is most of us don't. That's kind of the thing we tuck in on the back if we can. Or we say, well, I've already I've set aside. I'm going an hour to church this week. I got that taken care of for two hours and I'm done. That's not what that means. It means living every moment with the glory of God and what He intends for our lives at the forefront of our minds. I think about Jesus. There's this passage in Mark that I just found fascinating. It says that He rose early in the morning while it was still dark and He went out to a desolate place and He prayed. Simon and some of the others were searching for Him and they found Him and they were mad at Him and they said, everybody's looking for you. Everybody wants you. And Jesus says, well, let's go somewhere else then because I've got to preach in another town. I think about this passage. Now, sometimes we use this passage to talk about the importance of prayer, and it is important. You need to set priority and time for prayers. But also what I think is interesting is about this fact that Jesus is consistently doing things. Jesus was busy. I don't know what your image of Jesus is, but if you look through the Scriptures, He was busy. So I'm not saying today that inactivity or just sitting around and doing nothing is the answer. What I'm saying is a focused understanding of our days and the priorities that are there is the answer. If you look at Jesus, He had crowds around Him all the time. He had people looking for Him, demanding Him. And He had to say the things that needed to be said to the people that needed to be said to, to do what God had called Him to do. I mean, it's easy for us to assume Jesus didn't have any kind of pressures like we do. But he had pressures of a different sort. I mean, you've got bills to pay. Jesus had lepers to heal. you got kids screaming for you. Jesus had demons calling him by name. 
You have stress in your life. Jesus taught large crowds all over Judea and Galilee with people constantly asking him questions to trick him in order to kill him. He had a reason to be run over by a hundred expectations and yet he stayed consistently on missions. In fact, Jesus knew his priorities and he stuck with them. Think about it. Jesus wasn't turning down an opportunity to play in a community soccer league. He said no to people who had diseases that he could cure. When he left a town and went to another, he was saying that I have important business and he was saying that it's more important than even the diseases of these people that are crying out for me. The disciples didn't understand why he wasn't attending to all that stuff. He's popular. People wanted him. Jesus just says, we've got other business to do. My priorities are set. Let's go. If you took your schedule, what you did every day, and you just wrote down how much time you spent doing each activity, what would your schedule show your priorities are? And it could be some good stuff. And you also have to realize that Scripture teaches that whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. So not all stuff has to be God's stuff in order to be God's stuff. Well, what would your schedule say about your priorities? Let me give you two or three things just to kind of think through as you're setting your priorities. First of all, when it comes to your priority, God first. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. He is the reason for our existence, the passion of our lives. He is the only thing that gives meaning and order to our crazy, chaotic lives. So give priority to the Lord and His will first. Secondly, think through people and not appointments. How does your schedule impact the people in your life and the people that you're around? Third, let your schedule be a servant, not your master. There are some of you that once it gets written down on a schedule, if it does not get done, you think you have failed in life completely. Schedules are good servants. They're terrible masters. Fourthly, think eternity, not time. How is what I'm doing impacting eternity, not my few minutes on this earth. Moses says, teach us to number our days and then we will live wisely. It's really not an issue of whether your schedule's got something written in every hour of the day. The issue is whatever time you have, are you using it wisely? Now, some of you are almost at the end of that watch. You're almost at the end of your few minutes. The truth is, all of us are a lot closer to it than we realize. Amen? We just are. So are you going to use wisely the time you have left? Let's pray.